as they're making their way out, if you have your Bible with you, if you would open up to the book of Numbers, chapter 5. Numbers 5, 1 through 4 is where we'll be today. Most of you are probably saying, what a coincidence. That's where I've been doing my devotional time, in Numbers, right? Your Bible just kind of falls open to that spot. Numbers 5, 1 through 4. You can read along with me. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. And the sons of Israel did so and sent them outside the camp. Just as the Lord had spoken to Moses, thus the sons of Israel did. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to take of the truth that's found in Jesus Christ and would disclose it to us would give us insight and understanding, would enable us to see Jesus more clearly such that we're moved to worship more fervently, more truthfully. We thank you for what it is that we have here in this passage of Numbers and how in everything we're able to see all things pointing to your purpose and your work in the person of Jesus Christ. Be with us now as we, uh, as we take this time to think and to discuss and uh, even to worship and meditate. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, okay. Numbers 5, 1 through 4, the passage that we just read. We sang in uh, our time of music... Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. We sing a song like that with a certain amount of excitement, a certain amount of eagerness, bright, shiny, happy people, right, singing about the holiness of God. And yet one of the things that we're um, forced to grapple with is that the holiness of God is reflected not just in the way that His glory fills the earth, but is reflected in a passage like Numbers 5, 1 through 4. One of the, uh, what I'd like to do, let me tell you kind of how we'll, how we'll track through this before we transition into, uh, into our time of communion. I want to uh, just try to break it down into uh, three simple points. No, no PowerPoint this morning, no sermon notes or anything, so if you're one of those type A personalities, I apologize, but just... Take a break, relax, just think, all right? Let it soak in. Here's the way that we're going to do it. We're going to first look at the command itself, what it was that the Lord commanded the people to do. Number two, the purpose behind the command. And then number three, 
how that command points us to Jesus Christ. So the command, the purpose behind the command, and then how the command points us to Christ. The command itself is pretty straightforward. Anyone who has these conditions has to be sent outside of the camp. I don't want to dwell too long on the particulars, but I do want to at least address some of the particulars. There are three kinds of people that are mentioned here. One is a person who has uh, leprosy, any leper. Another, anyone who has a discharge. And then a third, anyone who's been defiled or polluted by coming into contact with a dead body. Three pretty specific circumstances, even though these are not the only three things in the Old Testament law that would render someone unclean or impure or consider them to be defiled. So even though this is just one small segment, and there are a host of other things that had to be watched for and guarded against, we also should recognize that there's a little bit more of a broader application to these descriptions than what we might initially think. For example, most of the time that we come across the word leper or leprosy in our English translations of the Bible, the reality is translators are doing the best they can with the word, particularly in the Old Testament, with the word that we find in Numbers 5, for example. By that we mean the, the translators just really aren't sure what the actual condition is. They translate it as leprosy just more out of convenience than medical precision. Do you, you follow what I'm saying? So when you look through the Old Testament and it talks about if someone has these symptoms, yep, he's got leprosy, not all of the symptoms that are mentioned seem to be typical of leprosy. So one of the things that we think when we see descriptions of this or when, when leprosy is discussed, we think, well, it may not be leprosy per se in the way that we know it today as much as it may refer to sort of a, a, a various little group of skin diseases or infections. In which case then, in Numbers 5, when it says any leper must be sent outside of the camp, we might be better off saying anyone with certain kinds of skin infections or skin diseases or blemishes or something that would qualify must be sent outside the camp. Are, are you with me so far? Okay. The second one, someone who has a discharge, a discharge could be any number of things. A discharge could be from a wound, a seeping, weeping wound. Uh, it could be a discharge of blood. It could be a discharge of infection, any number of things. But if you have a discharge, you are considered unclean. You're defiled. And then as far as coming into contact with the dead body, that's pretty straightforward. So even though this is pretty specific, perhaps a little broader than what we think, one of the things that is in common to all three of these, though, and here's where we want to start to, to bear into the passage, is that in every one of these cases, for the leper or skin disease, for the one with any kind of a bodily discharge, and for someone who's come into contact with a dead body, it seems that one thing that's held in common by all three of these cases is that this would be what we might call accidental defilement. Meaning, this is not something that someone necessarily intends to do. No one intends to get a skin disease. 
right? No one wishes for a skin disease. They just wake up one morning and they know they recognize they have a rash or they have something that wasn't there before. No one wishes to have any kind of a, an infected discharge from a wound or a cut or a burn. No one really eagerly hopes to come in contact with a dead body either, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes it may even be necessary to come into contact with a dead body. And so what's interesting in this passage is that the things that are described here that causes someone to be labeled defiled, unclean, impure, is not necessarily something that we can charge against or blame the individual for. But even though I may not be responsible for the fact that I have a skin infection or that I've become defiled, even though that may not be due to any fault of my own, it doesn't matter. I'm still considered defiled and unclean. So picture yourself then as the average Israelite in the camp, in the wilderness. You get a cut or you get a burn or you get a blister. And as you're healing, even in the process of healing, you're still got some sort of a discharge, or you've got a disease that leads to a discharge. They don't even know necessarily how to classify these things. They just see the symptoms of it. And because of that, you have to be sent out. Or you run into some sort of infection or bacteria or fungus, and it affects your feet or your hands or any other part of your body, you have no idea how it got there, where it came from. doesn't matter. You have to be sent out. Or you go to bed with your wife at night, happily married for 50-plus years, and you wake up in the morning to find that your spouse has passed away in their sleep. You have to be sent outside of the camp because you've come into contact with a dead body. But it goes even further than that because as you continue to read through the law, what you discover is not only do these kinds of things render this individual unclean, impure, defiled, but if you come into contact with that person, you become defiled as well. So much so that if you touch any of their garments, if you sit on any of the furniture that they've sat on, if you've used some of the same dishes, doesn't matter if they've been clean or not, if it's happened after they've been determined or deemed defiled, you now have become unclean as well. It's contagious, at least in a ceremonial sense. So think then what you do if you're a parent and your child comes down with an infection or some sort of a sickness that renders them defiled and unclean. You have to take your 10-year-old or your 12-year-old or your teenager, and you have to take them away from the family, walk them to the outskirts of the Israelite camp, and say, Daddy loves you. I don't want to do this, but this is the law. 
Dad, how long do I have to stay here? Until the disease goes away. Or until the sickness subsides. Or a grandchild or a spouse. And so until this defilement runs its course, there's this sort of temporary excommunication. They're labeled. They're outcasts. So they have to sleep in maybe a makeshift little hut or they have to find a cave to to hole up in. Because they can't be with family and they can't be with friends. They can't be with the rest of the nation where it's safe, where it's secure, where it's familiar. And the reason for this command or the purpose for it is spelled out very specifically. See, oftentimes when we come to passages like this, we're quick to jump to the medicinal benefits or the medical benefits of quarantine, right? Well, of course God did that because if individuals like that with infections or with infectious diseases had been allowed to stay, well, then it would have spread through the camp and they didn't have penicillin or they didn't have this, they didn't have that. But is that the reason that God gives in this passage for why it is that a defiled individual has to be sent out? doesn't even apparently factor into the conversation. Rather, the command to send these people out, to put them outside of the camp, is explained for one reason only. Because if they remain in the camp, that makes the camp defiled, and this is the camp where the Lord dwells. Translation, because God has moved into this camp, this camp is now holy and sanctified, and anything that is not holy has to be dispelled, has to be removed, has to be shut out. Your child, your grandchild, your spouse, your elderly parent, whatever the case, you yourself, through no fault of your own, if you've been defiled, because now this has become God's camp, you must leave and you must stay outside the camp. Seems pretty rough, doesn't it? Seems like almost, too, that if an Old Testament Israelite were to be singing some of our songs today, singing, holy is the Lord God Almighty, do you think maybe their perspective would be a little bit different than ours? One of of the things that's interesting as you continue to read both before and after this brief little passage in Numbers, you go a little bit further and there's actually a case in which some men who have been set outside the camp because of leprosy or some, some skin disease, they come to Moses and they say, Moses, we've got a problem. Passover is coming up, the very first anniversary of Passover that the people are going to celebrate, that God has said, you celebrate Passover on this day of this month every year in perpetuity. The very first opportunity for them to observe Passover comes up, and these men have been sent outside the camp, and they say, Moses, what are we supposed to do? We've been commanded to keep the Passover, but we've, we've been excluded from worshiping with the nation. Does the Lord let them back in? No. No. The holiness of God is such that even 
a memorial service or a memorial celebration does not provide an escape clause. You miss celebrating the greatest national feast of your people because you've come up with some sort of infection through no fault of your own. Now, even then, God is good and gracious to say, nevertheless, even though they have not been able to celebrate with the entire nation, when they come back in the next month, they can observe it on their own, which in, in some ways is kind of cold comfort, right? Be like saying, you can't celebrate Christmas with your family and with everybody else on the planet, but when January 25th rolls around, you and Bob over here, y'all can celebrate Christmas together. You're like, yay, right? But because of the holiness of God. Why, why does He give this command? Why so harsh? Why so rigid? Why so cold? Paul says in Galatians that one of the primary reasons that the law was given was that the law was to function as our tutor or as a trainer to lead us to Christ. And before Paul ever says that, Jesus says in multiple places in the Gospels, in John chapter 5, you search the Scriptures because in them you think that you have life, but it's these that bear witness of me, and you're unwilling to come to me. And then at the end of Luke, after the resurrection... Jesus, in what had to have been some of the most fantastic teaching the world has ever seen, that's not recorded for us, irritatingly enough, Jesus walks through, Luke says, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets, and shows them how everything written in the Old Testament, even Numbers 5, 1 through 4, is talking about Him. So this is not a law or requirement that's given as a way to stave off mass infection in the pre-modern era. This is not even something, even though it's tied specifically into the holiness of God and maintaining that holiness and sanctity in the camp, this is not something that ultimately is given just as a way for God to be, what, over the top or overbearing or burdensome. Rather, if all of Scripture reveals the mind of God, when God utters these words, when He gives this command to Moses and to the people, and when God watches as a father has to take his daughter outside the camp and leave her there for the night or for a week, God is thinking, this is going to get them ready for Jesus. Because here's what the people are starting to learn very early on and will continue to be drilled into their head over and over and over again. They'll begin to learn that the law can tell you how to handle defilement. Like when defilement comes, what do I have to do? Well, you have to go outside the camp. The law will tell them how to handle defilement, but the law cannot tell them how to heal it. There's nothing in here about how to treat the leprosy or the discharge. 
It just says, if this is you, you're out. You're separated from the camp, ultimately because you must be separated from a holy God. The law could tell them how to handle defilement, didn't tell them how to heal it. And under the guidelines of the law, the high priest or the priests were the ones who were given the responsibility of inspecting people who were thought to be defiled. The high priest was the one, or the priests along with him, were the ones who diagnosed someone who fell under the category or under the defilement of leprosy, whatever that might be, or had the defilement of a bodily discharge, or if they came into contact with a dead body. And so the law teaches them early on, not only could the law not heal them, the law provides someone who can diagnose me, but it doesn't give me someone to deliver me. All that the law could do was give you a set of precepts and commands and instructions that that taught you how to respond to these situations or impressed upon you how serious an offense impurity was, accidental or not, but it never told you how to ultimately deal with it and get rid of it. And this is what it's like to live with the holiness of God day in and day out, year after year, until, Paul says, the fullness of time came. And Jesus comes. Do you want to see Jesus in Numbers 5? You better. Turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, start at verse 12 with me. Luke records this for us, and we read in Luke 5, 12, and it came about that while Jesus was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. Not a touch of it, full of it. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Can anyone say that to a priest? Can anyone go to the temple and say, priest, if you're willing, you can make me clean? No, not only can you not say that, you can't even go there. You cannot go to the temple to even ask for the priest to do anything once you've been labeled unclean. But this leper comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then what does Jesus do? Verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus, don't you know that this man is defiled and unclean, that this man has been shut out? from the temple services, from temple worship, from his family? Don't you know that because this man is defiled, if you touch him, you become defiled too? Is that what happens? No. Jesus touches him, and rather than Jesus becoming unclean, 
the leper becomes clean. A total upending of all that they were used to, of all that they were familiar with. Jesus is demonstrating an authority and a power over defilement and impurity and sin and iniquity that the law never exercised, that no priest could lay claim to. Go a little bit further in Luke to chapter 8. Start at verse 40. We'll skim a couple of these paragraphs and then key in on certain verses. And starting at 840, Jairus comes to Jesus, has a daughter who's very sick and wants Jesus to come heal her. So Jesus goes. He's traveling, walking to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. Verse 43, as he's traveling with tons of people crowding around him, it says, In 843, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. What is that in Numbers 5 language? That's a discharge. A woman who had a discharge, a hemorrhage for 12 years, she has been defiled. She could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and she touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately, her discharge stopped. That's a violation of the law. You you can't come as someone who's unclean and defiled and start reaching and grabbing for people. If you touch that man's clothes, he becomes unclean and defiled. Is that what happens? No. She just touches the garment of Jesus And rather than Jesus becoming defiled by her impurity, she becomes pure and cleansed because He is clean and because His purity is greater than her impurity. And Jesus asked, who touched me? The disciples think He's lost it. Man, you're getting jostled everywhere. What are you talking about? Who touched you? No, someone touched me. I felt power come out. The woman sheepishly brings herself up, and Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And then he continues on. And so as you continue on, Jesus is still heading towards Jairus' house to heal the daughter. In verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, don't be afraid. Only believe, and she'll be made well. And when he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand. He touched a dead body. And called to her, saying, Child, get up. Her spirit returned. 
she rose immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. A leper, someone with a discharge, and a dead body. Jesus covers all of the conditions in Numbers 5. Why, why do we get Numbers 5, 1 through 4? We get it, one, so that we see in real-life application, we get some glimpse of what it means when God says that He is holy. It means that just living the human existence, just being in the human condition renders us unclean in a myriad of ways. And if you're unclean, you can't be with a holy God. That's one part, but all of that was just prep work for the real revelation that came in Jesus Christ, which was to say… God is holy and pure and undefiled, and no one who is unholy and defiled may come to Him, except now the Son of God comes, not yelling and pushing everyone back and saying, get out of here, you're defiled, but going to the defiled so that He can make them pure. His righteousness his purity, His holiness far outweighs, is far more powerful and effective than your deepest, darkest sin and defilement and pollution. Even in those cases when you feel like, well, I can't deal with this because I wasn't the one who did it. This was acted upon me, right? I'm, I'm damaged goods. I'm unclean. I've been a, a, abused or mistreated or I've been an outcast. I've been labeled. All the, right? How do I get rid of that when I didn't do it to me? And the same answer is there. Jesus can do it. And so what we do then, in part, in part, when we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, even, even in what we do here in just a few moments, when, when we come, when you come forward to, to take the elements and to eat, even that coming forward, even that, in some small way, can be symbolic of the truth that we just saw here, that were it not... For Jesus Christ and His righteousness, there is no one calling you to come. Everything in the holiness of God would be pushing you away and telling you to keep your distance. But because of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross in our place, the man, the woman, the child who was once shut out from the presence of God, who is deemed unclean and impure, God Himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, goes to them and says, come to Me, and I'll clean you. 
I'll take away your defilement. I'll take away your pollution. I'll touch your mind. I'll touch your heart. And I will do for you what no law, what no priest, what no pastor, what no church could ever think of doing. And that is something to celebrate. It's worth noting that under the law, none of us are clean. All of us are exposed for the guilty, defiled, law-breaking sinners that we are in our very nature. And that in spite of that, God's love for His people is such that He sent His Son to call them out to Himself to make them clean by nothing less than His own death. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we ask now that as we come to this time of reflection, of remembrance, and even of anticipation, we pray that You would take the truth of Your Word and so infuse it into our hearts and our minds that we would be changed, even if it's just a little more, into a clearer image, a clearer reflection of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, would you use the saving power of your Son to convince us that he is both willing and able to save all who would come to him? And that in coming to him, it's not just simply that he cleans us, but that we are received and accepted and reconciled to you, that we become different after having encountered Jesus. Thank you that all the righteousness that we needed, all the obedience that we could never render to you was done for us by Jesus, and that being a perfect man and fully God, he placed himself under your judgment and wrath so that we could be pardoned from the sin and the punishment that we deserve. May this time be truly a time of worship as we reflect on your holiness and your mercy that came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. May your Holy Spirit be very active in our midst to encourage and comfort, even to convict where necessary. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.